we're in the midst of Hanukkah. Yeah, that's November 28th through December 6th for anybody that might not know. And we were recently talking about Manischewitz wine and what it actually means to make kosher wine versus having non-kosher wine. So we both struck out to the great World Wide Web um, and we're coming back together to discuss what is kosher wine, what is not kosher wine, and all that in between. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. First off, what did you find in your research about what makes kosher wine? I think we went in very different directions, P.S. <laughs> uh, well, we always kind of do. We always, uh, typically we we have a couple things that are in common and then we kind of go in different paths when we do this style yeah. of recording. I actually spent a lot of time learning about the history of Manischewitz. <laughs> yeah, and I did not do that at all. Because <laughs> I found it really interesting. And I looked at, you know, what, what makes wine generally kosher, which as a winemaker and someone who knows a tiny bit about kosher eating practices, I mm-hmm. had some assumptions like, uh, the fine, like if, if a fining agent is used in wine, some were mm-hmm. going to be allowed, some weren't, especially, yeah. um, like isinglass is a fining agent that's very mm-hmm. common in winemaking. I'm still a little unclear if that is okay to use. It's made out of certain fi- fish bladders. Um, okay. and I know that there's some pretty strict seafood, non-seafood hoofed animals. Like there's very certain yeah. things. And then there's also different levels of being kosher. So yeah. I found that kind of interesting, but mostly I, I mean, thought, it's kosher or not kosher, but <laughs> no, there's there's like some people that are more strict oh, about their kosher, like they Orthodox take things Jews very versus literally Shabbat. versus like well, but but the you know mm-hmm. badgers weren't mentioned, so is it okay to eat badgers or is it not? You know, like there's oh, yeah. it's yeah that kind of thing. Getting back to kind of the wine making side of it, I thought the most interesting thing that I came across was most kosher wines are not kosher unless you're buying them from someone who is Jewish. Like and as mm-hmm. soon as they leave the the umbrella of that person who's taking care of the wine or selling the wine being Jewish, they become mevushal. I'm yeah. so also a side note. I did not look up many pronunciations for this episode, so sorry if we do not pronounce things right. I think we've got Manischewitz down. I think we've got kosher. I think we've got Hanukkah. I'm not sure about some of the other words. (laughs) My Jewish grandmother would probably be very disappointed in me right now, (laughs) Um, but I did not get raised Jewish, so I did not learn a lot of these (laughs) words either, so we are so sorry going into this, but yeah. I think, okay, Haley, you just like unpacked a lot right there. Um, And so it sounds like you went into Manischewitz wine and like looking that up. I went a different direction where I just looked up what is kosher wine. And then I dove in, dove into, there's a website called kosherwine.com. Oh. And they had, yeah. And they had like a ton of stuff about like, Kosher Wine 101. And then I also, you know, went out to a couple of our trustee sources like Wine Folly and 
Um, I think there was another like wine one that we've used before, but I really dove into kind of what you were getting there in the latter part of your discussion about what actually makes wine kosher and the process and how that's kind of evolved over time with different people. Like you were mentioning, do people like Orthodox Jews that celebrate Sabbath do they have to actually be as part of the whole process or as it moved to the new world, to the Americas and no longer was coming out of purely like Jerusalem and stuff that yeah. how to preserve that kosherness in wine. And there's a process with that. So right. that's kind of where I went with my exploration. So let's uh, I would love to hear first from you about, <laughs> yeah, where you went with Mana Shevitz. Yeah. I think that Manischewitz, well... Like, what is it? <clears throat> Manischewitz is definitely the most famous kosher wine in the U.S. Maybe the Western world in terms of just the volume of wine that they make. It's It's insane. a brand. Yes. It's a brand a of, label. Brand of wine. Um, it's actually managed... I didn't write down the n- parent name of the company, but it was managed by a, a parent company who also made other... Jewish foods. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they've like been bought and sold and things like that. But they just, they grew, they were huge. They're they're still Mm -hmm. huge. And most of us in the Western world think of Manischewitz as like the kosher wine. But it's made differently than (laughs) most, uh, most table wines. It's made out of Concord grapes. And typically... It's left sweet. And from what I learned in my kind of scratching the surface about kosher wines um, in this research, you don't have to have sugar left over in the wine. That's like a stylistic choice, like it Mm -hmm. typically is in winemaking. So in this case, I think probably what happened is um, as they were making this wine early on out of Concord grapes, Mm -hmm. they were getting left with a lot of sugar after their fermentation because they were using a table grape that typically has uh, a higher sugar content. So Concord. Yes. Which Concord are grapes, grapes which... from, if I understand from the new world. And so that would make sense as I will later describe about the kosher making process and like yeah. keeping it, you know, among people that practice the Sabbath. Basically in my kind of little (laughs) whirlwind of research. Mm -hmm. I just found it super fascinating that Manischewitz grew to the size that it did so quickly. Mm -hmm. And and it's still around today. I mean, it's what most people know in the grocery store as as the kosher wine. So even people that aren't strict Jews, if they're choosing to celebrate a Seder or something like that, that's typically the wine that well, at least a lot of the Jews that I know, or not not very practicing Jews, they'll they'll pick that wine up to have mm-hmm. at their celebratory Sabbaths or dinners because it's like it's a cultural thing of like that wine means this celebration. Well, yeah, and I was just you know reading up a little bit on it as well, and I think it's interesting. It's it came out of Ohio. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's been around. Now it's in upstate New York, I think, is their main okay. processing facility. But uh, but it may have moved again. I think that I read that that it moved from Ohio to New York. 
And then and it and it makes sense to me just because of the the sheer amount of like the Jewish populations in the United right. States too. Um, kind of you know obviously Jewish people are all over the United States. There's just a lot more kind of you know certain. There's definitely concentrations communities of them, yeah. and concentrations in certain areas of the United States. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. Also, it's kind of fun to me that it comes out of Ohio, the Midwest. It just yeah. like comes with like, I don't know. I looked at the, when I first saw the label, this is so weird, but I first saw the label and I thought like, that looks like a, like a label of like a schnitzel place (laughs) like like something like that um but anyways it's just in that whole vein of like different types of um, yeah food so completely so tell me a little bit about the kosher winemaking process that you found yeah so kind of where you got at um there was there's kind of two ways to go about kosher wine. And the first is what you were describing as that in the entire winemaking process to pouring out the wine into the glass, like obviously the person drinking the wine at that point can drink it and it's still kosher, but to actually pour it out um, has to be um, in the hands or like every step of that process has to be somebody that is uh, somebody that actually observes Sabbath. So that became a little bit more difficult when trying to have kosher wines be served in like the the modern day restaurant industry, right. um, as well as just kind of um, also in the U.S. and just the availability of getting it out there, that there would be parts of the process that wouldn't necessarily, you know, be in the hands of somebody. And then at that point, according to the, you know, Jewish laws of sorts, that it wouldn't be kosher. Right. Um, so then it, there's this, I think, I hope I said this right, um, menzusel. M-E-V-U-S-H-A-L. Yeah, I was saying it Mavushal, but I yeah, don't, versus not 100 sure. Medusal, I'm so sorry. I'm just going <laughs> to try not to say that word because I feel like I'm being bad. Um, <laughs> but that is a way of flash cooking the wine. Um, yep, that's what I said. And <laughs> it is a way then it can be handled by somebody. Non-Jews. Yeah, non-Jews. And so that became popular, especially in the United States and farther away from Israel and different other places that originally had a lot of kosher wines coming out of because then they were able to still have kosher wine. But this process of like cooking, quote, because the the literal translation is cooked, Mm -hmm. um, then it was able to stay with that kosher label. Right. I think that the cooking process is akin to pasteurization. So it's just making sure that the wine, as it's handled by non-Jews that might not be observing the same yeah. the same things as uh, as observing Jews, that it stays stable and yeah. safe to drink. But I'm yeah. not 100% sure where that practice started and why it started. It might be more more in, entrenched in Jewish tradition than I realize. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, just was reading about that 
you know, the ability to have it served at restaurants and that kind of stuff was an important part. That being said, it's still important, as you mentioned, to have some of those finishing agents, yeast, other, like even the cleaning products used in the winemaking product to all be kosher and under that practice. I think too, from what I remember, I didn't look at any of the blessings, but I do know from... um, having some kosher meals with friends that it also has to do with the blessings that are said over the different foods. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there are blessings that are said over the wine as it's being made or being picked or harvested, things like that, that also come into the practice of making sure it remains kosher. So, I mean, and I'm sure this is greatly up for debate, but one of the things that I was reading on kosherwine.com in their wine one, kosher wine 101 um, <laughs> was that they said that that's actually a myth about like, you know, what we think about like, oh, kosher is having a rabbi having to bless the wine, that that's not part of what makes it kosher, that it's oh. all these other things. Um, Again, I'm sure that could be part of the process, but it doesn't have to have a rabbi like blessing it. Like I know that growing up, we'd always joke like, oh, the kosher pickles had the rabbi, but it doesn't. (laughs) It's more about all the products that are used in it and the process that it goes in to making it. Um, Again, that could be, you know, that was just one thing that I was reading. It could be wrong. And I'm sure, again, it's like every religious belief and, you know, and cultural practices that different people have different levels of what they, mm-hmm. you know, kind of accept as like, this is, you know, where I want, right. you know, my religion to like, you know, follow these rules and other people are, you know, have a little bit stricter, I guess you will say, oh, you completely. Know, laws around it and other people don't. So. And it totally depends on like, there's always the best case scenario. Like if everyone is clothed and well well taken care of and has a house like then we get to spend all this extra time making sure our food is properly blessed and making sure our uh mm-hmm. the you know um yeah. all all that stuff there's time to take for that but then sometimes you you don't yeah. have that time if you're you know in a more stressed situations i mean i know that my I don't I'm not um Ozanovsky Jewish and I'm not from the eastern my side of the family is much more from England and that area and so like I know it's really bad I'm really bad with my family here <laughs> so there's just certain practices that come with certain regions of the world that you know your religious practices even like yeah. Judaism as a whole came from and so there's sometimes differences between you know within the Judaism like you know, yeah how, how with everything like how we practice it and so I think that comes into this kosher practice as well Right. Yeah, that's for the most what I found. The only last like topic that I thought was really fun around kosher wine um, coming from my biology, um, ecology point of view was just reading about how, you know, some of the traditional Jewish laws and many of them kind of stem, you know, that that play into kosher and the label was, you know, comes from those like biblical agricultural laws and how, I don't know, it was just, you know, some of these biblical laws are used today. 
um, for different types of vinicultural practices and not always transposed over into the religious world, but how they have that base there. Yeah. And so I just thought it was really fun to kind of read through like, oh, you know, to have it be kosher is to follow these particular biblical laws or to not use certain products or to do the winemaking in a certain way. But it's also kind of good ecological practices mm-hmm. as well. And so it's really fun for me to read those things. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's a huge viticulture and winemaking, what's the word I'm looking for, market or uh, mm-hmm. happening in Israel right now. It's really yeah. interesting. And so I'm sure just knowing about that place and the culture there, most of those, if you're, <laughs> I mean, not all of You've them, but any You've been to means, Israel, but, correct? Yes, but it was when I was really young. I mean, I okay. I remember it, but I wasn't <laughs> taking in a lot of um, a lot of the stuff that was happening. Just the yeah. like, wow, that's a cool building. Wow, that's so everything is so old. <laughs> yeah, I think that most of the wineries that are there probably are practicing making kosher wines. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like I said, doesn't mean just because it's in Israel doesn't mean they're making kosher wines, but. I think there's a much higher chance if you buy an Israeli wine, it mm-hmm. will have been made to be kosher. But also, this is a great opportunity to plug our local wine shops because if you go into your local wine shop and you say, hey, I kind of want to try some kosher wine. You know, mm-hmm. it's Hanukkah season. Um, I'm sure that they will have a couple options for you that are Manischewitz or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I... I I agree. And I actually have had some wine from Israel. And now I'm like, is it kosher wine? And probably is if it is under that, you know, whatever. Yeah. Obviously, I poured it myself and I'm not a Jewish person practicing Sabbath. So um, (laughs) it was no longer kosher at that point if it was not. (laughs) But that's I was reading somewhere, I was trying to look it up really fast what the percentage was, but yeah, a lot of the wines coming out of Israel are pretty much like kosher. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, at least until it touches my non-Sabbath. Or until it pan. gets shipped. Uh, it just depends. Like if the if the shipping company that's taking it, I mean, if uh-huh. they're not, if it's not being shipped by someone who's a practicing yeah. Jew, like it, it yeah, it, a lot of that can, Mavushal might start way before yeah. um, it gets to your house. <laughs> I found that I found this fact. I mean, again, this is kosherwine.com, um, but it said not all wine coming from Israel is kosher. However, a lot of it is made or it said over 90% of the American market of Israeli wines is it's kosher. Made to be um, kosher. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And so, but they're not always made with co- kosher supervision. So, yeah, that's pretty Anything much it. Anything else? I mean, I think it's really fun. I didn't want, because I knew I was going to butcher all of it, but if you're interested, I think it's really fun to read through the Jewish agricultural laws that kind of go into kosher making. And there's like, 
all these fun words that I don't know how to say, so I'm not going to try um, <laughs> that, that go into kind of the different parts of the processing, every, everything from, I think one of my favorites is every seven years, letting um, your vines rest and your, your farm rest um, uh, to, yeah, cool. to, you know, some of the practices with winemaking. So check those out. Um, I think it's, it's a really cool opportunity to learn about something different and unique. So Definitely. And for me, it was really fun to kind of read about this, just, you know, having one side of my family be Jewish. So to learn, yeah. you know, some of that family history that has been lost. So yeah. Shalom. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Is that for yeah. just for Sabbath? Uh, Shabbat Shalom. I know we say that at um, the high holidays. <laughs> Shoshana. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and our podcast in general, please let us know by subscribing and reviewing on the platform you listen to. If there are some topics you would love to hear us discuss, please shoot us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram. We're at Whole Cluster Conversation on both those platforms. Or you can always write us an email, wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com. Uh, We're starting to wrap up our first season. That's uh, for the year 2021. Um, That's our season one. If there are certain things you think we need to dive into in season two, please, like I said, reach out to us. We're going to talk a little bit about our year in review, talk about some favorite tools we have, um, and get right into more winemaking and ecology topics with season two in 2022. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you later. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Vogel. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.